0: Thessalonians. This is the last on a series. We've been doing a three-part series on biblical sexuality. So this is the the final part on biblical sexuality and and today you'll we'll be looking at what does it mean that that Christ is calling us to biblical holiness in sexuality. We're called to holiness in sexuality or holy sexuality. So turn to 1st Thessalonians 4 verses 1 through 8 and we'll read God's holy inspired word together. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit or gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let's pray. Father, we are aware that the topic of biblical sexuality is difficult. It's difficult for us, but Lord, I pray that that you would set us free to be able to see these things, to respond to your word. Thank you that, that your word instructs us and you intend to give us joy and freedom through your word. And Lord, thank you that you have already saved us. You've already redeemed all who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, Lord, we can, we can freely talk about these areas. Lord, we can, we can talk about how you desire joy for us and freedom in these areas. God, I pray that you would enable me by your Holy Spirit to preach, I need you. God, would you enable everyone here to hear by your Holy Spirit. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Mondays are my family's day off, and we often like to do things. We like to make memories. We like to, to have fun together. We like to build relationships. And so this past Monday, like many Mondays, we went downtown to Falls Park, and we went for a bike ride. And it was a great bike ride. We you know we go all the way down through Falls Park, all the way down the Swamp Rabbit Trail. We, we typically take a little break at the Swamp Rabbit Cafe and then uh, refill our water bottles and come back. And so on the way back, it's become this uh, common theme as my children have gotten older various ones try to test dad and his abilities and, and so Joshua just uh, right before we're headed back probably a little quarter mile away was like hey dad I'll race you back and I was like sure because I can't say no and so I, I raced him back on the bike, and we were flying. I don't know how fast we were going, but I like to think we were going 80 miles an hour. We weren't. But, but we were going really fast, and we were coming in like bullets, you know. We were just streamlining, and, and I was beating Joshua. And so I was feeling good about myself. And so... Um, we, we came cruising in, and, and we, we parked right by, across from the zoo under some trees there, and we flew right in, and as we came in, these these bats and these birds and things went flying around, and, and so we came in, and, and I won, and I think I, I might have quoted you know one of our favorite movies, you know, no child can beat the Grinch, and um, and then I was holding my arms up in the air, and I was walking around like this, just cooling off, because I was a little overheated, because I'm old, and... And as I was doing that, I noticed something bit me on my elbow, and I just kind of swatted it away. And I remember thinking, well, that, was, that was a pretty big bug, because it kind of went across all my fingers. And I thought, that's strange. And Julie came up, and as she came up, she saw some bats fly away. We didn't think anything of it. So went home later that night, went to bed. In the middle of the night, woke up with excruciating pain. It was like somebody was stabbing me with a hot knife in my elbow. And I was like, what in the world? What kind of bug was that? And um, every time I moved my arm, it kept me awake. I didn't sleep all night, Monday night, and then I realized, woke up in the morning, and you know, I took, in the middle of the night, I took some like Advil, I rubbed everything I could find on there, like essential oils and benzocaine, and like I put everything I could, cortisone, Benadryl, I was putting everything on there, because it just hurt. And um, woke up in the morning, and I thought, wait a minute, that, I've never felt a bug that big across all my fingers, and Julie said she saw a bat fly away, so I got one of the kids to look, and there was two little pinpricks, two little holes in my elbow, and just like needles and then I was like oh man because it dawned on me oh that was a bat and so I called my sister ironically who had been bitten by a bat two years ago (laughs) and uh, it's the only other person I've ever known to be bit by a bat by the way so I don't know what's up with my family um Two out of four siblings. That's not good odds. Anyway, so I called her and was like, hey, Michelle, when you got bit by bat, what did it what did it feel like? And she's like, you know, it didn't feel like much of anything at first. And um, and there's just this teeny little pinholes was all it was in my arm. And and then, you know, but the middle of the night, man, I woke up and it was like this searing pain. Like somebody stabbed me with a hot knife. I'm like, oh gosh. So I went to the yard. ER, um, got all the meds that they gave me, all the little shots all around and everything, and and went through that. Um, unexpectedly, it was a difficult week. I, I was expecting a great week. I was back in the saddle. I was ready to go, and yet the bat had other plans for me. You know, this 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 bat, it, it affected me. I had like flu-like symptoms all week. I was uh, feeling out of it. Um, I was kind of in and out, just being really fatigued and sore. And it was really strange. And I was like, how can all this happen for something so small? Some small creature. And then I did some reading, which is dangerous. Um, when a when bat has bitten you to do a lot of reading about bats, I did tons of reading. I think I've read all about bats and all about all the potential diseases. And I read that there was like, they are a, a viral vector. They're, they carry the most amount of viruses, more than any other mammal. Um, so that was encouraging. And... Um, so <laughs> The, inter- the uh, Journal for Infectious Diseases said that uh, they, they serve as natural reservoirs for a variety of diseases. And I was like, that's good, that's good. And then they gave examples. They said, you know, Marburg, Ebola, Nipah, Hindra, Influenza, Dengue, Equine, Encephalitis, uh, Lysavirus, Made- all these other coronaviruses. And, and I was like, whoa, okay, cool. I'm glad that they're benign. And um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, they, it was unexpected. It was out of the blue. And the reason I share that with you is not just to share a personal story um, of my stupidity and just kind of just going into things and put my arms up and bragging about how great I was, Um, but sometimes... Sexual sin, sometimes sin is like that for us, it, it comes in, in, our, in our triumphant moments, it comes when we think we're doing really well, when we think we're doing fine, it, it comes when we are unaware and oblivious, when we enter into environments where we shouldn't be really, we're entering into environments oblivious to the dangers around us, and then sin pounces, temptation enters in, and it might seem like a small thing, but yet it has great and dramatic effects. That's why and it carries all manner of diseases by the way. Sin causes all kinds of problems. Shockingly so. And you would think it's just a little giving in to sin. Just this little giving in to sexual morality. This little giving in to lust. This little giving in to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the these little things. It, they won't really result in much, but it can have really devastating consequences. That's why when God and his word, he's serious about the topic of biblical sexuality. And, and in fact, it's, it's all throughout scripture from the beginning to the end. It, because who we are is we are beings who are physical, not only physical, but we're physical beings made in God's image, male and female. Sin, we've, we've been talking about it over the last few weeks, we've been made in God's image and yet sin has entered in and has and, and caused a sexual brokenness in, in our very identity. We're not only sexual beings, but we are sexual beings. We have, we're a body, spirit, and soul, and we're all kind of together as one. We can't separate out one portion. And so sin when it entered in it broke us in many ways. And we saw last week that that Jesus is the answer to our brokenness. But but meanwhile, how do we live? We're not to live oblivious lives, live as if we're totally fine. Now, now Jesus has set us free. He's healed us from our brokenness. And so now we can go about life acting like we're going to be just fine ignoring the fact that temptations abound, that temptations are all around us. And one of the primary temptations, and why we we spent three weeks on this, is it's not the only temptation you're going to face as a Christian, by the way. But one of the primary temptations you will face is through our physical bodies, because God has made us as bodies, right? And so one of the primary ways the devil tempts us is as bodies. He tempts us to think, hey, we need someone or something else other than God. Something else to satisfy us, something else to make us feel accepted, something else to make us feel wanted, something else to make us feel loved. And so we turn to all kinds of things. And one of the first things that we can turn to as physical beings is sexual sin. And so the Bible is very clear and it's, it's not here because God wants us to be Pharisees or because he somehow thinks that we need to earn favor before him. No, it's, it's really because we've been made new, because we've been given the strength of his Holy Spirit, because he's made us born again, now he wants us to live free from encumbrances, free from the nasty effects of sin, free by, by being aware of, of this temptation to sexual immorality. And so in Thessalonians 4, he, he's not writing this to him because he wants them to, okay, now that you've been, ble- been saved, now you have to be moral people and, and keep your salvation because otherwise it's going to fall away from you. You know, he's, he's wanting them to experience joy. In the Christian walk to grow they've already grown immensely in the Christian life and he wants them to grow even more now that's true for us as well you've been born again if you place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins you've been born again you've been made new you've been made alive but there's some impediments to growth and one of those impediments is sexual morality and God says no I want you to grow I want you to experience joy I want you to be even more like Jesus and because I want you to be more like Jesus I want you to Say no to sexual immorality, to be, to be holy and honor God. What we see here is that from Scripture, how we to live in regards to our sexuality, it's, it's simple, it's not easy, but it's simple. And what he says is that because we're in the Lord Jesus, we're we're called to live holy, honoring lives by the Spirit. That's what this passage is really getting at. This whole whole passage is getting at one main idea. It says, because we we are in the Lord Jesus, that's how it begins the passage. We're already in the Lord Jesus, and because we're in the Lord Jesus, we're called to live holy, honoring lives by the Spirit. And the context for this, if you go all the way back to the beginning of of 1 Thessalonians in in chapter 1, at the very beginning, he is commending them. In 1 Thessalonians 1.1, he says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because they're in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ that we can obey these commands. And then in verse 4 of the same chapter, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You see, there's, there's evidence when you experience conviction, that's an evidence of the fact that the Holy Spirit has, has brought his word to you in power. And then verse 6 says, and you became imitators of us and the Lord. He says, For you received the word and must affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that's the context that he writes to these believers. That were surrounded by a culture that, with culture, it was plagued by sexual sin. That the church in Thessalonica was surrounded by a culture that that lived for the pleasures of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh. And I don't think that's very different from us today. We we live in a culture that surrounds us with sexuality it surrounds us with sexual sin that says that that sexual sin is what will satisfy us and and it actually tries to sell us products based on sexuality but God wants us to be set free he wants us to be aware he doesn't want us to be oblivious He, he wants us to enjoy him he wants us to be free from sexual immorality And he wants us to grow in him more and more, to be like Jesus more and more. And because of that, because Jesus has already broken the power of sin, because because he's already saved you, because he's already healed you, because he's already made you like him, he's going to continue to make you like him. He's going to continue to, he saved us, but he's in the process of completely saving you, of completely redeeming you. One day, we're going to have redeemed bodies, that's what we saw last week. We're going to have redeemed bodies, but you know what? Um, In the midst of this life, he's he is about redeeming our bodies and how he does that is through this call. This call in Thessalonians to live holy, honoring lives. And to do that, we must reject sexual immorality. That's what he says. This is how God brings about your growth, your sanctification. This is how God makes you more and more like Jesus. One of the key ways here that Paul writes to the Thessalonian Christians and to us is that um, to rid yourself or reject sexual immorality. Reject sexual immorality. If you turn on the radio or open your streaming app, it's probably more likely for most of you. Or if you download something from one of the streaming services our society is inundated with lust inundated with the idea that sexual sin will get you fulfillment it will get you pleasure it will get you the things that you want in life it will make you feel satisfied it will make you feel wanted it will make you feel esteemed accepted and it will fill that longing in your heart but we must reject that lie that lie that that is, is on billboards advertising lycosuction to advertising the fact that eating somehow eating miniature hamburgers is sexy as bizarre as that is The effects of sexual immorality are surprisingly devastating. It's like that effects of a bat bite. Now, thanks be to God that he's, I think he's protected me from those things, and that's good, and I'm feeling a ton better. But, but um, sexual immorality can introduce all kinds of warped thinking about yourself, warped thinking about other people, warped thinking about God. And because of that, it introduces all kinds of consequences, all kinds of brokenness. It's not something you can ignore. Don't think that you're fine. If you are a human being, if you are not currently tempted by sexual immorality, you will be. And if you think, I was tempted by sexual morality, but I'm not any longer. Or if you're like, hey, I got married, so I wouldn't be tempted by sexual morality," don't be fooled. Every one of us is broken in some way. No matter what that brokenness looks like. And to grow in holiness, we have to reject sexual immorality. See, see, the world, it packages sexual immorality in in something that looks good, in something that was meant to be a good gift. You know, back in the 80s, people put, um, or at least the, the rumor was, I don't know if it really happened or not, but the rumor was in Halloween candy that people were putting razors inside of the candy and so uh, moms got really freaked out and like, I couldn't bring home my own candy and open it up. We had to like let it there, my mom opened every piece, which is kind of like, well, now it all goes bad. But... But the world has taken this good gift that God intended for a union between a husband and a wife, and he turned it into something destructive, something potentially deadly by by promoting sexual immorality. And and, and often the world, and we can view this as tasty morsel, not understanding it, it's really laced with poison. But God doesn't want us to, to view it that way. He loves us as a father. He wants us to not partake what's been tainted or defiled and So we can enjoy the good fruit that he has for us. Look look at verse 3. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. You know, sexual brokenness is not a topic that's that's new to our age. And and Paul, when he wrote about it then, he, he says, and such were some of you. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he says, um, Don't you know that unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And he goes on with a whole list of different kinds of sins. He says, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so because of that, in light of that, in light of the fact that you've been made new, he says, Now flee sexual immorality. You know, when I was a young man, somewhere between 16 and 19, uh, I, I was a drunk. Um, I, I thought that getting drunk would bring happiness. It would bring joy. It would bring friends. And, and, and for a short time, it did. But I realized that it really just brought brokenness. It brought heartache. It brought pain. It, it, now, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer a drunk. I'm no longer a drunk. I'm not tempted in the same way that doesn't mean I'm not tempted at all you know I, I can still I feel a temptation to to go and get drunk again and yet I know that that's not a good thing for me that doesn't lead to growth in Christ it doesn't lead to godliness it leads me away from God and it leads me to indulge the desires of the flesh and so I don't do that but you know what I don't call myself a drunk anymore you might be tempted in, in a similar way by any manner of sexual sin. That's, that's not who you are. That sin doesn't define you, whatever that sin is called. Whether that sin is, is, is pornography, same-sex attraction, adultery, fornication, whatever that kind of sexual sin might be, that sin doesn't define you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, that's not who you are anymore. But that doesn't mean you won't still be tempted. You may still be tempted, but what do you do with that temptation? He says, you need to abstain. But it's not only abstaining. There's a positive side of that. He says, each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Realize that that you have been designed, now that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, you are, it's the same kind of language that was used in the temple analogies when, when there's different objects used to worship, there was a lampstand, there was a, a, a basket, there was a bowl, there was different parts of worship in the temple, and those things were set aside as holy. They were, they were set aside for worship. They were set aside to, to point to God, to point to our need for God, to bring us closer to God. And So now he says, conduct yourselves and your own body in holiness in the same way that you now are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you have been designed in such a way that you're to point to God. He says, conduct yourselves that way. Control your body that way. Control your body in such a way that you realize you were created for something greater than the defilements of this world. And when the defilements of this world tempt you, when you're tempted by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, when you're you're tempted to look, when you're tempted to give in, when you're tempted to romanticize. And by the way, women, you might be tempted in ways that men are not. You might not be tempted by looks, but you might be tempted by romanticism and, and imagining a romantic guy sweeping you off your feet, and that's not who your husband is. And so you can be tempted to sexual morality through those covert means. No matter how you are tempted... Remember, those things are defiling things. Control our bodies in in holiness. Realizing that's not who God made us to be. And he says, control your bodies not only in holiness, but in honor. Honoring what? Honoring the fact that, that God has poured out his mercy on us. He's poured out his grace on us. He's made us new. Honoring the fact that it was the blood of Christ that rescued us. And so we conduct ourselves aware of that in holiness and in honor. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it told us we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We conduct our bodies in honor of that. We've been washed, why would we defile it again? We've been sanctified, we've been set apart, made holy, like those objects of worship, like Israel was referred to as a holy nation, a set apart nation, a sanctified nation, so we too have been sanctified, We've been justified. It's it's as if we have sinned in God's forgiveness and wiped away our sins completely. And and, and so now, why in the world, Romans 6 tells us, why in the world will we entertain those things again? So, Christians, become adept at fleeing sexual immorality. Become adept at recognizing all the ways that it subtly can enter in. Become adept of your surroundings, of, of seeing your circumstances, of seeing what you're feeding yourself on, seeing what you're entering into. Don't enter into the park blindly. Don't go where bats roost. Don't rush in unthinkingly in life. Abstain from sexual immorality in all the different ways that could enter into your thoughts, enter in front of your eyes, into your actions, in your heart. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. All sexual sin, it's rooted in original sin. And by the way, don't, don't condemn people who have types of sins that are different than yours, as if somehow your sins are better than their sins. We're all broken, we're just broken in different ways. All sexual sin of all kinds is rooted in original sin, and so it's not surprising, it's not exceptional that it might manifest itself in all kinds of different ways. All of us, as we talked about last week, have distorted images of who God is and who we're meant to be in him. All of us have distorted our sexuality sinfully in in a measure of whether something is sinful or not. Not not whether it feels natural. It might feel normal. It might feel natural. But that's because the sin nature remains. So we have to get get good at recognizing that. Wait a minute, just because it feels natural, feels normal. That, that might be the old sin nature, that sexual immoral nature that I need to say no to. And as Christians, we're called to struggle to fight arduously against sin in our own lives. And it's not something any of us want to naturally do on our own. And so what does he tell us? Look, look down in your Bibles again in, 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 for, in chapter 4 here. He, he wants us to not only abstain from sexuality, but renounce lust to live holy, honoring God, honoring lives. He calls us to renounce lust. Look at verse five, not in the passion of lust. We need to control our body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust. Renounce lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. Why? Because you do know God. And, and for a moment, you need to think about what is, what, is, what is lust biblically? Lust is desire for things or desire for, for ways that God has said are not good for us. Desire for things that God has placed out of bounds for us. Something that God says is not good, something that goes against God's laws, something that goes against God's guidelines for us. If it's it's something that we want more than we want to love and obey God, those are lustful desires. That's what he's talking about. And specifically here, he's talking about uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh for sexual immorality. But it's those desires that go against what God says are right and true. That's how we evaluate um, what's sexually immoral. It's, it's it's anything that God says is outside of His good design and good intentions for us. That's why even looking, Jesus says, even looking on a woman lustfully in our hearts, it's as if we've committed the sin of adultery. Now that's not, not saying that you can get divorced if, if if that's the case, but what He's saying is it's it's that same egregiousness. It's it's a weightiness to sin, even even looking on someone else lustfully. That's beyond the bounds of how God has designed us. He designed us to love him and to love one another. And looking on someone to get something from them that was not what God intended is not only selfish, it's, it's the epitome of being unloving. You might think that, that, that different kinds of sexual sin don't harm anybody else, but sexual sin brings all kinds of harm. It brings all kinds of calamity. Sometimes, though, we can, we can elevate sex or sexual desires as if it's a need or a right. Nowhere does the Bible ever speak of it as, our, as a need. We don't need to have sex to please God. We don't need to have fulfillment or gratification of sexual desires in order to honor God, in order to love him. It's not something we can demand in order to be happy. When we, when we do that, we elevate it to a God-like level we believe the lie we can't be happy without it but one of the ways we we honor god and live holy lives is by renouncing lust now as we do so we have to remember that that no kind of temptation whatever kind of temptation it is first corinthians ten thirteen tells us that that no temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man what's he saying all temptation is common any kind of temptation is common now not everybody around you is going to experience some kind of temptation but no temptation as ever taking, except that which is common to man, which means that, by the way, as Christians, when we talk about saying no to sexual morality, saying no to lust, we need to be able to talk freely with each other in mature environments, not around little children. But um, we need to be able to talk and say, look, I'm dealing with these things, I'm dealing with these temptations because we know that's not uncommon. But here's the really amazing thing: it says, God is faithful. Here's our hope in the midst of lust. Here's our hope in the midst of sexual morality and the temptations to lust. It says, God is faithful. He, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, that ability is in Christ, but he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to what? To bear up under it. He will always provide a way. Don't give yourself the lie that says, I, I just couldn't get out of it. I couldn't resist it. I just couldn't say no. It was overwhelming. I felt like I had to. I had to do that thing. I had to commit that sin. I just couldn't say no well that's not what scripture says that's not the reality if you've been born again in Jesus Christ he said he'll provide a way of escape now what does escape mean escape means you 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 might have to look for the the door you know in, in a dark crowded building when all the lights go out you might have to look for that exit sign but they're normally there right he'll provide a way of escape we have to look for it but right a way of escape that we can endure that temptation. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. That's ultimately what lust is. It's, it's idolatry. It's putting something else other than God above God as if that is the ultimate thing for us. That's what we need most. But we're not defined by that. We're not defined by our temptations. We're, no matter what struggle you have, no matter what temptation you have, you're not defined by your temptations. You're not categorized as whatever sin you can put in front of that, I guess whatever adjective. You know, you're not a, a drunk Christian. You're not a gay Christian. You're not a straight Christian. You're not a pornographic Christian. You're not whatever. No. You see, in Jesus Christ, we're just Christians what matters is not that we're tempted but how do we respond to temptation being tempted isn't sinful but being tempted is not benign either no temptation is innocent every temptation presents a danger don't think that those sins flying around like bats that those are benign you can just go right into the midst of them you might get bit don't take temptation lightly. Don't put yourself in a place where we're tempted and think, I'll be fine. You know, I can just look at this image that I saw of a woman in a bikini and I think that it won't lead my brain down a path it shouldn't go to. Don't think, you know what, I can I can read this romance novel and it won't lead my heart astray to look for romance outside of my spouse. Or don't think, you know what, you know, I, I think ultimately that. That marriage is the ultimate good. If you're single, no, marriage is not the ultimate good. Here on earth, marriage is not the ultimate good. And by the way, you think single is being hard. Married being being married's hard too, right? Don't think that, oh, you know what, I'll get married and all my troubles will go away. Talk to married people. I love being married, by the way. It's a gift. <laughs> it is a gift. But no matter what gift you've received... No matter what kind of gift you've received, whether you have a gift of singleness, and by the way, that's not a unique thing. It just means if you're single, then God's given you that as a gift for however long that lasts, for whatever period that is in. If you have that gift, then God's called you to Himself and, and be grateful for the gift while you have it. If you've been called to marriage, be grateful for the gift while you had it because you might not be married forever, by the way. And, and by the way, marriage is impermanent, it's only till death to us part. You know, singleness is impermanent. It's only till death as well. But you know what is lasting? What, what all of us, no matter what your status is, by the way, whether you're single or married, whether your status is, we're all married to Christ ultimately. And in heaven, there's not going to be any earthly marriage. We're all, we're all going to be the bride of Christ married to him. And so anything you might experience here on earth, anything you might long for here on earth as your ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment is not it. It's just really meant to point us to the ultimate longing we have for Christ. And so all of us, whether single or married, can give, resist the temptation to find fulfillment and satisfaction in your season of life and say, no, I'm actually going to use that to point me to seeing that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. He is the most beautiful one. He is the one I long for. He's the one I'm united with. He is the one who satisfies every desire. What matters is not how you're tempted, but how you respond to temptation. And all of us are going to be able to respond to temptation by his grace and through the Holy Spirit. But how do we do that? How do we, how do, we do that? How do we say no to lust? Well, we do that by making no provision for it. In Romans 13... Romans 13, 12, he says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, and in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we do? We make no provision for, he says, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires or lusts. Make no provision. Don't provide means for you to lust. Don't provide means to your eyes. Don't provide means to your mind. Don't provide those means, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Find your desires satisfied in Christ. Fight by exercising self-control. Fight by disciplining yourselves. Don't have time to go through all the different scriptures that that reference these things, but 1 Corinthians 9 it tells us about about exercising self-control in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 and in in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 it says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Peter doesn't want us to be Unaware of that either. In 1 Peter 2, 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions or lusts of the flesh. Why, he says, they wage war against your soul. They wage war against your soul. And then Romans 1, if you remember Romans 1, it talks about the fact that it begins with not honoring God, and then God gives us over to lusts. Paul tells us in Thessalonians, well, he says, Control your body, honoring God, so that he, you, you aren't given over to lusts. You know, lust, it's a temptation to live for yourself as if, as if fulfilling your own desires is a higher good than living for God. And he says, no, don't, don't give yourself over to those things. Wage war because we're in a war. God wants more for us. He wants us to learn how to enjoy the Christian walk more and more, not being entangled by this web of lust where we'll be eaten if we don't get out of it quickly. And we see that to live holy, honoring lives, he talks about respecting our brothers and sisters. So it's not only renouncing sexual sins, it's not just rejecting lust, but it's also respect for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now he uses the word foyer," which is translated in the ESV as brothers, but it means brothers and sisters. It's not just, it's not just men. We respect. He says, see to it. See to it that you respect your brothers. Whenever we address the topic of sexual sin, we really have to begin with humility that understands our own brokenness. In light of who we're created to be and in our own need to be born again, our bodies redeemed. So when you are living God, honoring holy lives, remember that that you're here to help others, your brothers and sisters, love Holy God, honor your lives, too. And they may be tempted in ways you're not. You need to respect them. You need to respect the fact. Not, not to accept that, that they're tempted, but accept the fact that we're all tempted, but it doesn't mean that their sin is any better than yours. You're, their sin's okay and yours is not. No, what he's, what he's talking about, the fact that sin's not a private matter. It's not a private matter. He says, no, let no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Verse six, no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And he gives a solemn warning, by the way. He says, because the Lord's an avenger. You have brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow believers, and he says, "Don't, don't transgress in this matter because God will avenge his children. So there's a warning here. There's a solemnity that we're meant to have. Don't take this topic lightly. Don't enter into sin in this area lightly. Respect our fellow humans, respect your brothers and sisters in Christ. Controlling our, our own body and holiness and honor it no matter what season you're in, whether you're single or whether you're married, respect your brothers and sisters. If you're single, respect them as brothers and sisters, as you're meant to, treating them as holy, honoring them as God's children, respecting the fact that that they are. Daughters of God, they are sons of God. And, and if you go to God's house and you pick up his daughter for a date, I think you'd be aware of how you treated his daughter. That's how we're meant to react, or to treat our fellow brothers and sisters. Same, same goes for guys. When you, when you go and you, you date a guy, you're supposed to treat them the same way as if they're God's sons. Don't transgress in wrong. Your brother or sister in this matter. And if you're married, the same goes for you. Just because you're married doesn't mean that you can stop respecting your spouse in this matter. Respect their limitations, respect their weaknesses, respect their temptations, and and understand don't transgress them in that matter. Don't look to get from them what you really only meant to get from God. There's a, a quote by a guy named Dennis Hollinger about sexual relationships. And he says, life without sexual intimacy in marriage is not a deficient life. Rather, life without intimacy with God in Christ is deficient. Read that again. Life without sexual intimacy and in marriage is not a deficient life. Rather, life without intimacy with God in Christ is deficient. You see, Jesus, he was, he was selfless, he was mature, and he was committed, but he was never married. And through Jesus, all believers have his name. There's nothing lacking for any who are in Christ. Entrance into the new covenant, it comes through being made his children, being made fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and better than the blessing of of. Sexual intimacy is intimacy with Christ. Better than the blessing of children is becoming God's children in the new covenant. And by the way, the new covenant, if you're single and you're thinking, hey, I, 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 I'm not fulfilled, I can't be satisfied because I'll never really have children. Here's what the Bible would say about that. No, you actually can have spiritual children that will last into eternity and you can be fruitful and multiply. You know, Jesus was very fruitful and multiplied. He never had kids. The Apostle Paul, we, we, don't, we don't see anywhere that he had children yet. And he was, he was fruitful and he multiplied his spiritual children. Whatever season you are in, it's a gift from God no matter how long that lasts. And for whatever season you're in, we're called to respect our brothers and sisters. In this matter. The holy way might be a hard way. But the hard way leads to life. How you treat each other is important. Treating each other with compassion. Honoring each other. Realizing, wait a minute. You know, people are sexually broken in ways that we're not. But we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We've all been made in God's image. And yet... um, that image has been broken, so let's help each other in this matter. Let's not wrong each other in this matter. And then, lastly, to, to live holy, honoring lives, we have to remember that remember God and His Spirit. So we must refuse sexual immorality, reject lust, respect our brothers and sisters, and then remember God and rely on His Spirit. What is he saying in the very last part? He says in verse eight, the end of verse eight, who gives his holy God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Don't forget that you have the Holy Spirit in the fight against sin. We don't have to live like we used to live anymore. All of us needed to be born again in order to live new lives. But here's the good news. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been born again. And if you've been born again, here's here's something really amazing. You've been given the very Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, the same Jesus who said no to every temptation by the Spirit. You've now been given that Holy Spirit. So you can say no to every temptation. But we need to remember whose we are. We need to remember that we're in Christ Jesus. We need to remember that we're children of God. If, if you were the child of the President of the United States, that identity would affect everything that you did. It would affect whenever you went somewhere, you'd be aware of that because the Secret Service would be, probably be following you around. Um, you know, if you were like Bush's daughters, you might not like that sometimes because um, it's going to hold you accountable in ways that are difficult. And yet, you wouldn't forget it. To live wholly honoring God, god honoring lives. Remember that we're in the Lord Jesus. That's what, how he began this passage. You're in the Lord Jesus. You, you've been bought with a price to live and honor God, who's now your Father. You now have been made children, brothers and sisters, fellow brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, and you've now been given the Holy Spirit. Remember that. <coughs> First Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Remember, you're God's children. And remember that you have the Holy Spirit. When you're fighting sexual sin, don't think that it won't cause any harm. All throughout the Bible, there's story after story of, of the damage that was done. Noah's son, Ham, sinned uncovering the nakedness of his father. Lot's daughters committed incest with him. Jacob's daughter, Dinah, was raped. Judah slept with his, his daughter-in-law, Tamar, thinking she was a cult prostitute. There was David committing adultery at Bathsheba, murdering to cover it up. Uh, there was, there's all manner of sexual sin. Hosea's wife, Gomer, was a continual prostitute. The, 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 the portraits of sexual immorality in the Bible are not good, and they're meant to make us hate it to be warned of the dangers. But he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us there. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And he gives us all manner of tools. And in case you're wondering, I'm um, talking to another believer here. Um, there's all manners of tools for fighting sin. And hopefully, you've been reading through the book of Ephesians in your, um, at least with someone else, sometime this summer. We've, we've asked the whole church to go through the book of Ephesians together with someone else. So, so hopefully if you're a guy, you're going through with another guy, you're going through the book of Ephesians. Or a lady, you're going through with another lady, going through the book of Ephesians. And hopefully if you've done that, you've come across, or you will come across one of the tools. And one of those things is putting on the full armor of God. Guarding your heart with the breastplate of righteousness, not looking to be right or fulfilled in someone else. Guarding your thoughts with a helmet of salvation. Guarding your ways, your path, with your feet shod, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Guarding from the onslaught of the enemy by by holding the sword of the Spirit. By keeping the belt of truth around you. Focusing on Christ, putting on Christ. Renouncing lust, walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Why, Why does God give us these commands? He doesn't give us these commands so that we can somehow be proud of ourselves or we can feel like we're moral creatures. No, he, he gives us these commands to set us free so we going to have greater joy in him so we're not corrupted, we're not affected detrimentally by the bite of sexual immorality. So church, what's our call? Our call is sanctification. Our call is holiness and honor. And we do that by relying on his Holy Spirit, placing our faith in Jesus, placing our faith in the fact that we are in him and that's our new identity. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your commands which give us life, which are good. Thank you that you desire good things for us, that your commands are sweet like honey to us. That your commands are are the means that we can walk in freeness and newness of life and that we can walk in the goodness that you have for us. Lord, we don't earn your favor by obeying your commands, but Lord, we enjoy you and grow in you as we obey your commands. So Lord, help us look at it that way. And Lord, set us free from the sexual immorality that traps our culture. By your grace and, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.